This is the Poetry Foundation's Essential American Poets podcast. Essential American Poets is an online audio poetry collection. The poets included in the collection were selected in 2006 by Donald Hall when he was Poet Laureate. Recordings of the poets he selected are available online at poetryfoundation.org and poetryarchive.org. In this edition of the podcast, we'll hear poems by C.K. Williams. C.K. Williams was born in 1936 in Newark, New Jersey. Aside from the financial stress his family felt during the Depression years, Williams said he had a normal enough childhood. Mostly, he recalls being a restless kid who found it hard to sit still. He was always trying to get away, he says, from home, from school, from anywhere. Williams started writing around age 19. His first model wasn't a poet, but an architect, Louis Kahn. Williams' career as a poet began in earnest in the early 1960s, when he began reading his contemporaries and resolved to direct all his literary interests away from other kinds of writing, toward poetry. Williams' work features narrative poems that depict the political and sometimes uncomfortable realities of modern urban life. His social commentary is unflinching and gutsy. Some have called it scathing. Hailed as an original stylist, his lines are very long and prose-like, stretching from margin to margin of the page. His later poetry tends toward more introspective descriptions, many of which are concerned with the tension between public and private life in contemporary America. Williams has won numerous awards, including the Pulitzer Prize for his 2000 collection, Repair, and the 2003 National Book Award for The Singing. He teaches at Princeton University and lives in Paris for part of the year. The following poems were recorded in New York City in the fall of 2007. The Gaff If that someone who's me, yet not me, yet who judges me, is always with me, as he is, shouldn't he have been there when I said so long ago that thing I said? If he who rakes me with such not trivial shame for minor sins now were there then, shouldn't he have warned me he'd even now devastate me for my unpardonable affront? I'm a child then, yet already I've composed this conscience beast who harries me, is there anything else I can say with certainty about who I was except that I, that he, could already draw from infinitesimal transgressions complex chords of remorse and orchestrate ever-undiminishing retribution from the hapless rest of myself? The son of some friends of my parents has died, and my parents, paying their call, take me along, and I'm sent out with the dead boy's brother and some others to play. We're hanging around, and words come to my mind, which to my amazement are said. How do you know when you can laugh when somebody dies, your brother dies, is what's said, and the others go quiet, the backyard goes quiet. Everyone stares, and I want to know now why that someone in me who's me, yet not me, let me say it. Shouldn't he have told me the contrition cycle would from then be ever upon me? It didn't matter that I'd really only wanted to know how grief ends and when. I could hear the boy's mother sobbing inside, then stopping, sobbing, then stopping, was the end of her grief already there? Had her someone and her told her it would end? 
Was there someone in her kinder to her, not tearing at her, as mine did, still does, me, for guessing grief someday ends? Is that why her sobbing stops sometimes? She didn't laugh, though, or I never heard her. How do you know when you can laugh? Why couldn't someone have been there in me, not just to accuse me, but to explain? The kids were playing again. I was playing. I didn't hear anything more from inside. The way now, sometimes, what's in me is silent, too, and sometimes, though never really, forgets. This poem had its genesis in an event in Africa where I went to a cave where there were approximately 10 million bats. And I tried to write a poem about them, and finally it came to fruition during a drought in another part of the world, in France, when one morning I woke up and looked out, and in the trees... The raindrops were still glittering from a night storm on the leaves, and the two things came together, and the poem grew out of that. Light Another drought morning after a too brief dawn downpour, uncountable silvery glitterings on the leaves of the withering maples. I think of a troop of the blissful blessed approaching Dante, a hundred spheres shining, he rhapsodizes, the purest pearls. Then, of the frightening, brilliant, myriad gleam in my lamp, of the eyes of the vast swarm of bats I found once in a cave, a chamber whose walls seethed with a spaceless carpet of creatures, their cacophonous, keen, insistent, incessant squeakings and squealings, churning the warm, rank, clawing air of how one, perfectly still among all the fitfully twitching others, was looking straight at me, gazing solemnly, thoughtfully up from beneath the intricate furl of its leathery wings, as though it couldn't believe I was there or was trying to place me, to situate me in the gnarl we'd evolved from. And now the trees still heartrendingly a-sparkle, Dante again, this time the way he'll refer to a figure he meets as the life of, not the soul or person, the life. And once more, the bat and I, our lives in that moment together, our lives, our lives, his with no vision of celestial splendor, no poem, mine with no flight, no unblundering dash through the dark, his without realizing it would so soon no longer exist, mine having to know for us both that everything ends, world after world, even their memory steamed away like the film of uncertain vapor of the last of the luscious rain. The Singing I was walking home down a hill near our house on a balmy afternoon under the blossoms of the pear trees that go flamboyantly mad here every spring with their burgeoning forth. When a young man turned in from a corner singing, no, it was more of a cadence shouting, most of which I couldn't catch, I thought because the young man was black, speaking black. 
It didn't matter. I could tell he was making his song up, which pleased me. He was nice-looking, husky, dressed in some style of big pants, obviously full of himself, hence his lyrical flowing over. We went along in the same direction, then he noticed me there almost beside him, and big, he shouted, sang big, and I thought how droll to have my height incorporated in his song. So I smiled, but the face of the young man showed nothing. He looked, in fact, pointedly away, and his song changed. I'm not a nice person, he chanted. I'm not, I'm not a nice person. No menace was meant, I gathered, no particular threat, but he did want to be certain I knew that if my smile implied I conceived of anything like concord between us, I should forget it. That's all. Nothing else happened. His song became indecipherable to me again. He arrived where he was going, a house where a girl in braids waited for him on the porch. That was all. No one saw. No one heard. All the unasked and unanswered questions were left where they were. It occurred to me to sing back, I'm not a nice person either, but I couldn't come up with a tune. Besides, I wouldn't have meant it nor he have believed it. Both of us knew just where we were in the duet we composed, the equation we made, the conventions to which we were condemned. Sometimes it feels, even when no one is there, that someone, something, is watching and listening, someone to rectify, redo, remake. This time again, though, no one saw nor heard no one was there. That was C.K. Williams, recorded in New York City in 2007 and used by permission of Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux. You've been listening to the Essential American Poets podcast, produced by the Poetry Foundation in collaboration with PoetryArchive.org. To learn more about C.K. Williams and other Essential American Poets, and to hear more poetry, go to PoetryFoundation.org.